Hey, I'm Mike Joseph, and thank you for listening to Detoxicity, a show by men, about men, but for everyone. I hope you enjoy the content of this podcast, and I want to let you know about a few things you can do to support us and our mission to challenge traditional notions of masculinity and create a more communicative, positive, and loving environment for all. You can subscribe to Detoxicity on any podcast platform that you use to listen. We are available just about everywhere. Also, don't hesitate to rate and comment as these help us move up in the podcast rankings. I'm on social media, or at least I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok as Detox Pod Guy. Feel free to drop me a follow. Now I have a Patreon page, yay! And uh, Patreon gives you the opportunity to get cool merch and exclusive episodes of this podcast in exchange for subscribing. Go to patreon.com slash detoxicitypod to find out more. Uh, finally, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, whether you found an episode of the podcast particularly enjoyable or enlightening, or you know someone who'd be a great guest, or you'd like to offer constructive criticism, or if you yourself would like to be on the podcast, hit me up. Reach out to me at one of the aforementioned social media channels, or if you're old school like I am, drop me an email, detoxpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and take care. If you... Like Whitney, George, and myself believe that children are our future, we certainly have a lot of respect for what educators put into the world. This episode's guest, Sonny Harding, is an educator based in Georgia, and over the course of our conversation, you may realize how much educating can be a two-way street. Uh, You'll also hear about how having a toddler can cause challenges to extracurricular activities. We'll talk about misconceptions of the South and uh, how there are rednecks and bigots everywhere. And Sonny will stand for a particular style of footwear that I might need a little bit more convincing to adopt. Listeners, please enjoy my conversation with Sonny Harding. Teacher, drummer, hockey player, dad, lots of other stuff too. Hey, I'm Sonny Harding. I'm a high school English teacher and a drummer and a hockey player and a dad. Maybe in a, some different order, but <laughs> it probably depends on who you're asking. Yeah, for sure. So you listen to this podcast and you don't just listen to it as like preparation for being a guest. Like I think some of the other people who are on this podcast do. You were familiar with it before I was like, hey, would you be interested in being a guest on it? So I am curious if when I asked you, you had any reservations about being on it yeah a lot of reservations i mean like listening to it you've had some really smart insightful people discussing the topics at hand and i just didn't feel like that i had a whole lot to offer i just kind of think that i'm another straight white guy without much to add to the conversation what i appreciate about your podcast is that it puts voices that i don't here all the time into my viewpoint so I can get some perspective. So I think the first time you invited me, I was like, nah, nothing to add. You guys are doing great. Well, one thing I've said, and I've said to you specifically, or at least said to you in a group setting, is that a lot of straight white guys say, eh, there's enough of our voices out there. We don't need to be on another podcast. But the reality is that there are not a lot of straight white voices talking about this kind of stuff. And I do also think that for the straight white guys that are listening, hearing somebody who mirrors more of their experience is maybe helpful to them being able to to own wherever it is they're coming from. So 
I kind of think back, what was it? Was it like 2021 where the, the pandemic shut everything down and then the Black Lives Matter movement popped up? And there's a lot of people who look and sound like me saying, I'm going to just sit back and listen. And I was like, well, that seems like a good thing to do, right? Like maybe a lot of this is bringing up from the idea that we're just not listening. So I try to actually do that. And every now and then, I remember at the high school I work at, very progressive, very well-intentioned kind of community of professionals trying to do those right things. And then sometimes when the black women would speak up, it kind of would ruffle some feathers or when some trans people maybe wanted a little bit of some listening to, it got a little dicey and it made me think, well, what are we really doing guys? So I think that's where that comes from is there's this momentum in society and culture to kind of progress things and get some more voices heard. And that was okay with me being quiet and, and listening to those voices for a while. So you weren't one of those people who, got uncomfortable when some of those voices made themselves heard in a way that maybe was a little bit more confrontational or a little bit more challenging than I think a lot of people might expect. Yeah, or sitting with the discomfort and letting it be uncomfortable. It's like, man, ooh, I don't know how I feel about about that. So let me sit down and process it before I react or before I say something or before I put my straight white foot in my straight white mouth <laughs> and just really think about it. And maybe I don't walk away from the whole thing completely changed or having my perspective changed entirely or like I'm voting for a different person or sending my money elsewhere or something like that. But at least I listened to it. At least I heard it out. Right. And that I think is more than can be said for a lot of other people. It's certainly one thing to listen and then maybe a second thing to listen and then maybe confront your ways of thinking that might have contributed to oppression or people not being heard or whatever. And then a third thing to act on that. Yeah, I think a lot of people said they were ready for some difficult conversations. They, they were the difficult ready. conversations start. Well, I mean, who likes a difficult conversation? <laughs> I mean, They're that, difficult. But that's part of being a human. Even taking a step back from politics, like as a married person, as a father, you know, as a human being, you have to have difficult conversations. Otherwise, there are things that are definitively not being said. You know, let's just yeah, put it that way. Yeah. yeah. So on a slightly different topic, I don't know that I know how you became an educator. By necessity, a need for a job. <laughs> I started off in video production. I would do sort of like low-level video production. I ran a shop that did DVD duplication or VHS duplication, or I would take people's old 8mm film and put it on a DVD for them, or go videotape a high school football game and edit the highlights for people, photo collages for birthday parties and stuff like that. And every now and then I would do some bigger stuff like commercial shoots and things like that. But really, it didn't make me a whole lot of money. It wasn't really a, a living wage. It's great money for an 18, 19, 20-year-old maybe, but then looking at it, what I could maybe do with a, a bachelor's degree in English, I kind of didn't see a whole lot of options out there. <laughs> so I looked into teaching just because like, I needed an actual paycheck. And I know the, the general attitude is that teachers aren't paid enough, but when I went from making $10 an hour to 
making a first year teacher salary. That was a big change for me. But yeah, I always loved my own education and loved my teachers and stuff. And it almost seemed sort of like a rock star kind of thing. I didn't have the audacity to think that I could do that. But when you're backed up against the wall with some bills and your future staring you down, you get a little more audacious, I guess. Huh. I mean, you still have to... Your finances are struggling. You're looking at your bank account and you're like, eh, maybe I'll go into education, but there still has to be a training and further education piece behind that. Yeah. I went back to the same school that I got my bachelor's from and I got an MAT, a master's in teaching, which it's kind of built for people who already have some college degree, maybe some English classes, but don't have an education degree. So that gives you your teacher certificate and it gives you the classes and student teaching experience and stuff you need. So it was like a summer-to-summer program, really brutal, like grad school stuff. And then that got me my teaching job. And now that you are a full-fledged teacher, with, I assume a few years of experience under your belt at least. Yeah, 15 now. Holy shit. All right. I've been at it. And you're not like, shit, maybe I should switch to another job. <laughs> Especially with having a daughter. We're not financially strapped by any means, but it does really put into perspective your role as a provider, a breadwinner for the family. Teaching is a great career financially at, at certain stages. When I first started, I was probably making maybe just a little bit more than some of my peers who were just starting out in their own fields. But 15 years later, some of my friends who do other work for Google and stuff like that, seeing the kind of money that they make compared to what my salary is, is pretty devastating sometimes. <laughs> but then later on down the line, states usually take pretty good care of their teachers once they retire too. So these are not lean years, but they're the years where you wonder like, maybe I should have done something with computers. Like my aunt <laughs> told me to when I was like 10 years old, I should have taken that advice because all my friends who work in computers are doing a lot better than I am right now. Right. A lot of people get into education, I think, for reasons that are centered in altruism a little bit. And some people get into education because they got to get a paycheck. What do you get out of teaching besides just being able to say, hey, I can pay my rent or mortgage or whatever? Yeah, and I'll be clear. I'm definitely not in it for the money. I mean, I if you were in it for the money, considering the amount of money teachers make, that would be, yeah. Something else. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but when I was what, 25, 26 or so at my career options, it became a, a viable idea, but I really did think of it as a profession that I had a lot of respect for that. I didn't think I could do, but yeah, what I get out of it now is, is great. I mean, every day is completely different. There's always something weird, something goofy happening. Some kids <laughs> saying something totally insightful or bizarre or you're getting to know them on these really interesting levels and helping them become the best versions of themselves, whether that's right now or 30 years down the line. That's super, super rewarding. The idea that I'm just a little drop of society growing up and doing something in the future that's I don't know. It's more rewarding than doing some coding for a gas station or <laughs> right. something like that. I mean, everyone's got to make their living and they can do all sorts of good with the money that they make. But it is great to, to go to a job where 
but it means something that you showed up for them. Right. And 15 years in, this must have happened. Do you get kids who come back to you when they're full on adults and they're like, Mr. Harding, blah, 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 blah. I learned this from you. Or I, I did that with a couple of my high school teachers in the years immediately after high school. Yeah. God bless you. It, yeah. it means so much. The, that, that, that's where we do get paid. The paycheck might not be amazing or anything, but no one's emailing the IT guy 15 years from now and saying, like, hey, <laughs> you really my you coded the shit out of that thing. It really <laughs> changed my life. You were a warm presence in an uncertain time for me. But yeah, it does happen to me, I don't know, like 10 years ago or so. That's what Facebook was great for. The kids would graduate and then either the next day or a couple years down the line, you get a friend request from them. And then now all of a sudden you get to watch them grow up and have their kids and go on to their lives. And I don't chime in with them too often, but just to see them grow up is really awesome. I'm a yearbook advisor, so I, I make my school's yearbook. I've been doing that for a while, too. And those kids you work really, really closely with. And you usually work really closely with them for multiple years in a row. So there's a handful of people out there for better or worse, had me for four years, who spent four <laughs> years of their education under my guidance. And those kids I do get super close with. I've attended quite a few weddings. There's lots of Instagram following going on, watching their kids grow up and sending them baby shower gifts and stuff like that. It's sure. awesome. That's what's really cool about it. Right on. Well, I, I appreciate the work that you do. I, I don't know if I get to say that to my teacher friends enough. But it's tough work. I mean, I think back to when I was a kid and <laughs> yeah. I, I was a handful in a few different ways. And I think I was fairly low on the scale of difficulty and I was still a lot of work. Yeah, I remember how hard 10th grade was. I teach all the grades, but that's the one that I teach the most of. So when a kid's having a bad day or just having a really crappy attitude, I'm like, yep, that's remember that. But I'm not saying I'm a legendary classroom management guy or anything at all. But every now and then you can pull a kid aside and say, Hey, what's going on? And they'll come clean about this is not about them being an awful person or wanting to disrupt your class or whatever. This is about whatever's going on in their lives. Right. Whatever that might be all sorts right. of stuff. Now, speaking of kids, you taught school for however many years and then you were like, I'm going to have one of my own. Yeah, we got started super, super late. I'm 41, and our daughter will turn two next week. Happy so we birthday. had her at 39. My wife's 36. Yeah, we just did everything a little backwards. We had all of our childless years first, and now we're in our child-rearing years. <laughs> and what is that like? What is it like to have a toddler well, I guess one, two is toddler, right? I, I think she's toddling. Yeah, I think okay. that's what we would call what she's doing. It's really great. She is kind of wild. I don't know if you can see, like, on the podcast, won't see it, but there's this scratch on my cheek. Because yeah, she, you, like, you look like somebody punched you in the face. Yeah, I lost a fight just the other day. <laughs> she dug into me pretty hard. But it's been awesome. It's been super rewarding. It's tiring a little bit. Sure. But that's that was expected, right? I think that's kind of the common knowledge is that children are going to exhaust you. Yeah. And we've been lucky. We've been very lucky. She sleeps really well. She's more or less well-behaved. But yeah, I think have, having her late made us much more patient. 
So we don't freak out and get all anxious and nervous about stuff. We kind of know that everything's going to be fine. But my back hurts more. <laughs> that's age. That's not a kid. Well, I, that's what I mean. 40s. But like, yeah, I mean, imagine having this 20, 25 pound thing that needed to be picked up over and over and over again all day. Right. That's good work for a 25 year old. <laughs> it made me really think like, oh, yeah, this is why you have a kid young. You're dumb. <laughs> but you've got the back to handle it. Your core strength can. Yeah, yeah. Can the, take the, care the core of it. strength is what it used to be. <laughs> Oh, man. Shit. I had a question, and that question, it left my brain. Actually, a few things I want to ask. One is, you live in Georgia. Yeah. Now, if I remember correctly, you grew up in Georgia. Have you yeah, ever lived anywhere life. else? Okay. Yeah. I got to ask, what has having the lifelong Southern experience as someone who has not spent any significant time in the South, what is that like? I don't know what anything else is like. Sure. So, I don't know. Let's see. Our tea is sweet. <laughs> I'm familiar. Like, as a default. If you say, I would like an iced tea, you're going to get a sweet tea. tea. Right. So, that's pretty standard. What else? I think that there are rednecks everywhere. I think David Cross has a bit about that. Like, the redneck accent exists all over the place. And I have witnessed it. I've seen the rednecks of Southern California. I've seen the rednecks of Buffalo, New York. I've seen the rednecks of the whole country. So I think that ignorance sort of exists everywhere. And I think we sort of have the reputation of embodying that for some reason as like the, the cartoon version of it, or maybe just the way that the, the districts are gerrymandered. That's the way that the voting blocks seem organized. But I don't know if it's too much different. We have Targets and Walmarts just like everybody else. No Walmarts in New York. Well, certainly. And like my time in New York City, that was really eye-opening of like, oh, people live here. I've only been to New York as a tourist and with my band. And in those trips, see the people who live there. And they're not like Disney World employees. You're in the way of them getting to work. Or you're in the way of them coming home from work. And it's like, wow, neato. You live in an apartment? What is that like? So I think that that is probably a big difference. But we have Atlanta, too. I could have lived that whole life. So my upbringing was a very suburban southern upbringing, too, which is different from what you experienced, for sure. Yeah. I, and my stepdad's from Georgia, so it's not like I don't have close experience with people who are down South. I've been to Georgia, that whole thing. I think as I've gotten older, maybe my mental picture of Southern dudes, uh, mm -hmm. Southern people, but Southern dudes in particular, like they look like you. Mm -hmm. You're wearing a ball cap and you got a beard and you look like somebody that would be very at home with a guitar in your hand. I look like a Zach Brown fan. Right. But I'm talking to you and you don't. How dare you? Well, also, I like Zach Brown, so I, I, I really? yes, I do. I'm not a fan. Okay. That's okay. I mean, not only is it a musical thing, but also Zach Brown is kind of my type. So there is that uh -huh. in addition to it. But I mean. I love the idea of Mike having a poster of Zach Brown oh, Zach on the wall, just sort of looking at him. Yeah. Zach Brown and Nick Offerman, man. You do have a type. Zach Brown, to get on a tangent for a second, it seems like, especially the school that I first started my career, it seemed like everybody knew him. Like, he was sort of from our general area, right? 
And so there's a sports bar that sometimes my friends and I like to go play trivia at. You're a trivia guy. You can appreciate that from trivia. And every now and then, Zach Brown would be playing at the sports bar right after trivia. Like, we're just trying to have a good trivia time, eat our chicken fingers. And Zach Brown is trying to go on stage. I mean, this is like early 2000s before he broke. Okay, I was going to say, yeah. Wow. So, so I have that idea. And also that chicken fried song, I can't tolerate it. He has better songs. He's got to, because I think that's one of the worst. <laughs> yes. That's um, like we built this city on rock and roll. <laughs> it's got that bridge that's just a salute to the troops. Nowhere doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the song. I just, I can't. I will say the majority of his music is not as contrived. Right. And sometimes I would share these opinions with my students when he came up and there would always be one student aghast because I'm trashing Uncle Zach or some family friend or church buddy of theirs. It's like, I'm sure he's nice. I'm sure he's a great guy. He can be a wonderful person and still make music that people don't like. Yeah. I'm sure the Nickelback dudes are awesome to hang out with. They're Canadian. Of course they're awesome to hang out with. Yeah. They're going to be super nice. That's nice, just like their polite. best attempt to be like the Pixies or something, right? They're trying. Yeah, you can't hate on that. But the point I was going to make is that you look like a guy that was brought up in Georgia. You don't necessarily sound like one. And because you don't have an accent. Yeah, the accent is weird. It it shows up in some people and it doesn't show up in others. My dad's side of the family is from Boston. Ah! So, so half my family... My grandfather had like that really thick Boston accent. Pop the car in Harvard Yard. Yeah, I have a really soft spot for that Boston accent. But yeah, nails, this is just sort of what nails came on the out. Chalkboard. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's my grandpa. That's an accent of love and me getting spoiled rotten and stuff. So it's all good. It's not the homophobia and racism. <laughs> Right. That maybe Boston's known for in other circles. I mean, just, just all good stuff for me. I mean, where you live might be a little bit more known for that, which kind of complete my thought. I feel like in my head, and I think this might be due to a number of factors, the South has become synonymous in a lot of ways with intolerance. Sure. Uh, and obviously, the South is a broad term. There are a lot of different people living down there. Of course, there are tons of black people. There are tons of queer people that live in Southern states, but there has become this image, this characteristic of people from the South generally perceived to people from the North as intolerant to an extent. And I mean, that's an unfortunate stereotype. I mean, certainly we can point to all sorts of anecdotes and history to support that narrative. But you're right. Outside of not driving a car, you'd fit right in in Atlanta. You would do great in Atlanta. And there are certain communities. Now, if you drive two, three hours outside of Atlanta, there are places where you also might not be 100% safe. Right. Which is unfortunate, right? I don't know if that's uniquely Southern. And I don't think it is because I could drive two or three hours out of New York City and somewhere near Albany. Mm -hmm. where I also probably wouldn't be incredibly safe. Right. So, yeah, I think it's a fair reputation in some ways, and then in other ways, it's also like, that was a long time ago. Things are a little bit different now. Depending on where you are. (laughs) For sure. But like you said, like there's places up there where I think what 
is maybe one thing about the South is that there are a lot of those unsafe, horrible places. They got a flag outside. Right. As awful as it is that they're saying, hey, keep driving. At least they're telling you to keep driving. Right. And there's probably some spots up north where they're not doing that, but you're in just as much trouble. Right. For yeah, being the person you are. Yeah. I'm not in New York City, obviously, but if you drive out to Long Island or you drive out to other parts of New York State, you're going to see Trump flags. You might see a Confederate flag, which is stupid. Yeah, I saw one just the other day, and I think it was in North Carolina, actually. We had taken a little trip over to the casino over there, and there was some sort of dirt parking lot that had a Confederate flag hanging. I was like, yeah, that's not great, guys. I mean, in North Carolina... There's, again, like an expectation. I saw one in Maine once, and I was like, y'all are damn near Canada. What are y'all doing with a Confederate flag in front of your residence? That makes no sense. Yeah, and there's a lot of people down here who will hold fast to that idea that it it doesn't mean this, it does mean this, or this is what it means to me, this is what it represents. If you read your history books, that kind of thing. Good boy. It's like, okay, fine, but we know. Right. Right, exactly. uh, It's a little bit of mental gymnastics on their part. Yeah, and we all do some mental gymnastics sometimes, but when yours are are seated in trying to keep around something that makes other people feel real, real bad, I don't know. I don't like that. I feel you. I mean, I, I certainly don't. So, in addition to being an educator, you are also a musician, and you mentioned hockey, which is not something that I think has been brought up in conversation with us on many occasions, mainly probably because I'm not really a hockey fan. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But is that something you've done for a long time? No, it's something that I've sort of always been into. Again, my dad's from Boston. I kind of grew up watching the sport in my grandma's lap. When they moved, they moved out of Georgia when my dad was a kid. But you remember the old satellite dishes that would be out in people's backyards or front yards? They had one of those just so my grandma could watch the Bruins games. Okay, ours was on the roof, but I, I get you. Oh, the, no, these are the big boys. Like, you had to get sort of like a concrete post in the ground oh. to handle this thing. Yeah, my grandparents had this, this big guy in their backyard just so my grandmother could watch the Bruins games. <laughs> so I, I grew up watching the Bruins play hockey in my grandma's lap. Um, I mean, and talking about a sport of privilege and stuff, hockey's really expensive. Yeah. And down in Georgia, not a lot of places to play either. So growing up, I'd have a hockey stick and some rollerblades and a tennis ball and some friends in the neighborhood who would sort of humor me in the cul-de-sac and play. And that was about it. And it wasn't until I was an adult making a little bit of grown-up money that I could afford to start playing myself because it's an expensive sport to play. Right. And are you able to do all these other things now that you have a two-year-old? I've had to scale back a lot of it. I think a common point of conflict in my marriage is how many things I say yes to (laughs) and how much time I, I sign up for being out of the house. And having a kid has definitely changed my perspective on that a lot. I'm much less willing to say yes to Whatever it is, whether it's a musical project or an extra hockey team that I could be playing for or some sort of extra project at the school, I'm much more reluctant to sign up for things because everything I say yes to, I'm kind of saying no to my kid. Right. In the time that I could be at home with her. 
So I've had to be more careful about it. And so I'm not doing as much musically as I used to. I used to be in a cover band that played pretty regularly. Used to always have some sort of a project going. We do a lot of goofy, gimmicky bands. We have a band that only does TV theme songs. We have a band that only plays songs about the movie Home Alone. We have like a half a dozen other really stupid ideas always sort of percolating around. And now that I have a kid, it's do I want to go home and play with my kid? Or do I want to do an EP of covers of the Judge songs in like a punk rock style? (laughs) Well, I want both, but I'm going to go play with my kid. Right. I mean, there's only 24 hours in a day. Yeah, yeah. Now that summer vacation's coming around, again, my daughter's a real good sleeper. Like, it might be 9.30, 10.30 before she wakes up. Today, she slept until noon because she's kind of sick, so she's getting her sleep in. I was about to say, uh, can I be two? I want to sleep until I know, noon. right? Sure. But lately, I'll get up early, and I'll leave the house. I'll wake up at my usual wake-up time, like around 6 or so, and then I'll head over to a place and eat a bagel and get some writing done. And then I'll be home before my daughter's awake and I'll feel that I got some sort of creative outlet. So that's been really helpful for me. That's been really, I don't know, healthy for me, I think, is that a lot of the creative satisfaction that I used to get out of playing some music, I don't get as much of that anymore, but I've been able to get some writing done, which I think is good for me. And I'm sure that as... Your daughter gets older. I don't know. I don't have kids, so this is all foreign for me. I don't know if you'll have less free time or more free time. Yeah, I work with a guy who also, we do some writing together and stuff, and his kids are high school age. And his daughter was is one of my best students, actually. And it seems once they grow up, you do get some more time. Once they're a little more independent, you don't have to watch them all the time. Right. You can leave the house without feeling bad about it, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, I'm thinking about some people we know who have kids and they're like, oh, baseball game, football game, track meet, blah, 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 this other thing. And the uh, amount of yeah. free time feels super compromised. Yeah, and that wasn't my experience growing up at all. I played soccer when I was a little kid. And then when I was 10, my my mom and dad had twins. They had a boy and a girl. So I had a little brother and a little sister. And around that time, I stopped playing soccer. My dad was my coach that whole time. So that was my experience of my dad being at all my practices and games because he was the coach. He had to be there. So he ended up being a dad figure to a lot of those kids on the team. But then after I stopped doing that, I didn't have all those extracurricular activities. And I see a lot of my students doing the same thing. They have band practice or, or theater rehearsals or sports practices all day, every day after school. And I just think, like, when do your parents have time to do anything else right. other than just pick you up yeah, from where you like are? Being well-rounded is, is super important, and you don't necessarily get to have your own life sometimes if you're doing all that kid stuff. Yeah, and it, it does seem like this expectation or even voluntarily showing up to to everything i'm going to be there for my kid it sounds like it takes a toll yeah on parents and at some point i don't know i guess when i was younger with having a brother and a sister who were toddlers and then three or four years old i wasn't about to ask my parents to hook them in the van and come 
pick me up after school because I wanted to play tennis or I wanted to do tech crew in the drama department or anything like that. So I just kind of checked out and didn't do anything until I was drivable driving myself. And then I, I joined bands and me and my friends were just playing in bands together. Huh. So going back to the education thing and I was rereading our notes and I was going to ask you this anyway, but working with kids A, there's a generational divide, so you're going to have a little bit of a different experience interacting regularly with people who are significantly younger than you are. Yeah. But you're also dealing with kids who have a diverse array of needs, whether it's societal needs, mental needs, physical needs, what have you. Obviously, in a lot of cases, people think of teachers expanding students' minds, but how has having students kind of expanded the way you think? Oh, yeah, for sure, because I I only grew up one way, and then every year I meet about 150 new kids who are growing up a very different way from me, whether that's culturally or generationally, too, right? It's 2023, and they're growing up in a world that's very different than the world that you and I grew up in. Hell yeah. So trying to gain some insight for that and understand it has been super helpful in just understanding where the, the world is now. They don't keep me young necessarily. I don't think that's the way to say it. Every year it's fun to look at a kid's Spotify library or just ask them what they're listening to and the game of like, have I even heard of any of these people (laughs) is a fun one to play because I mean, every now and then you'll meet a kid who listens to their parents' music. It's like, okay, I know these guys. I know these guys. I'm with it. Or like Taylor Swift is universal. Taylor Swift is common if you're 15 or if you're 50 but uh, yeah i can't even name them i can't even make up the people oh who's the ice icy or whatever ice spice ice yeah ice spice that name came up the other day before school let out and i was like i i'm so old i'm so very very old so it's good for that but also just culturally they'll help me out too i've had some very generous kids kind of flag me down after class be like hey mr hardy like don't say that anymore or that wasn't cool. Be careful about that. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Thank you. Won't happen again. You got yeah. it. Yeah, I guess the other part of that is when younger people do, I guess, correct you. Do you take that personally or are you just like, this is a No, no, or? not at all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if anything, I feel terrible that I, I sort of misread a situation or I wasn't up to speed on what was going on. Or I've had some generous kids. You talk about tolerance. They have to exercise some some tolerance for the old white guy in the room sometimes, and they do it. They do it pretty gracefully and generously, and it's helpful. I think I set a good rapport in the classroom that I'm on their side. I'm an advocate and a fan of theirs, a cheerleader, and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes I'll make a joke that just doesn't hit them the right way, and they'll be like, "Hey." actually not funny, Mr. Harding. You'd be like, oh, okay, cool. Thank you. you gotta be <laughs> and it, yeah, it's just a little bit of shame, really. I'll spend the rest of the day going, ah, crap. I blew it. <laughs> Here I am trying to be a, an ally in whatever sense I can be, and I, I fall short sometimes, but they're, they're good to get me back on track. I think um, sometimes young people are really good for that type of thing, because if you're not, I mean, I don't know high school age people, but I do know a fair amount of people in their mid-20s, which at this point is 20 years younger than me. Yeah. So it's good to have people that will kind of keep you 
centered with what younger folks are dealing with because we're not all the same. Even if we're talking just from a generational perspective, a 25-year-old version of me is going to have had a much different generational experience than I did. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just the smartphone by itself, like, has completely flipped everyone's world upside down. And we have a hard time. It's easy for us to harp on it and make fun of the kids for being glued to their phones. But that's a universal quality, right? I think we're all kind of staring at our phones more than we should. But the idea that their social circles operate so much more online than they do in person. Right. So, so many kids these days, they don't care about a driver's license. That's not the ticket to freedom in a suburban community that it used to be because they get so much of that community that a driver's license used to grant you. They already have it. Right. They're already talking to people online. They're already getting together late at night. That's already happening. Right. Where are you getting your sense of community from? I know, granted, you are a dad and you're a parent and you have a job and you've got a lot of balls kind of bouncing in the air right now, but I feel like most people need to have something a network outside of that. Yeah, and this is, again, where I'm, like, once again, privileged. My parents kept me in the same general area my whole life. We moved once before I started kindergarten and then again in the middle of 10th grade. And the 10th grade move, Mike, was, like, 15 minutes down the road, and it devastated me. It rocked my world. Like, how could you do this to me? I don't know any of these people. And my best friend was just a 15-minute drive away. But I was at a new school, and it just completely upset me. (laughs) I didn't handle it. And meanwhile, every year I get a dozen kids who are from Baltimore, from Michigan, from this other place, from other countries, from Guatemala, El Salvador. They barely speak any English. And to, to think that a move 15 minutes down the road to a different school district just totally rock my world was crazy but i say that because my best friend from seventh grade is still my best friend oh he lives in california now but he's still my best friend and another one of my best friends that we were in bands together and stuff with i've known him since second grade they were in my wedding and all that kind of stuff so being able to have some roots really helps with being able to keep your community right if you're not moving around a whole lot you're making friends and you're for the most part, keeping them. And I've been lucky that way. The music stuff really helped. The silly bands that I'm in right now don't do a whole lot of music work these days, but we have a very active group chat where we talk about our mortgage rates and our yard work and which sparkling water flavors the others of us need to try and stuff like that. So I'm lucky to have lots of different circles. The hockey stuff, that's a team the people who have each other's back and that kind of stuff. So I've I've been blessed that way to sort of got myself involved in activities like music and hockey that kind of put me out there with other people. And I think as we get older, we have to manufacture those reasons to hang out with each other. We have to have concrete things. I, I know you've shared some struggles with this too. It's like, why can't we just hang out? Well, hanging out's great, but we're busy we're old and some of us have kids and stuff and finding time with my friends that are also parents is so so hard like that stuff you have to get on the calendar a month in advance right the bass player in my band and i were just chatting about going to see that oppenheimer movie 
It's like, yeah, you get tickets. We'll go on this date. It's over a month away. Right. But we have to plan that far in advance because that's sitters or getting the, the wives involved and there's a lot of travel arrangements and stuff. So we kind of have to plan in advance and also sign ourselves up for things. Book club, hockey, music, whatever it is, we got to have a reason to get together. But once we are together, then it becomes what we're looking for when we hang out with other people, that regenerative feeling of, of being around others. That's a wonderful feeling. I mean, I certainly am a big fan of that. I'm curious, between drumming and hockey, do you just have the need to do super physical stuff? I I don't know. I mean, I like hockey because I sort of fell into it as a kid, liking it. Drumming, as weird as it sounds, I'm a shy person. You're a teacher. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but again, like I said, it was a reason that I didn't think that I could teach. I, I, I was certain that I was too shy to be a teacher. The idea of standing in front of 30 people and performing in some way like that really terrified me. But uh, things change when there's a paycheck on the line. You do sort of drum up the courage to, to speak in front of people. I'm still real bad with a microphone. Like, if you amplify my voice in any way, I get very, very nervous and uncomfortable. You so, do realize we're recording this and people are going to be listening to it. I know, which is why I told you no first, Mike. <laughs> well, now I'm even more touched that you said yes. But yeah, I was wondering, I was trying to place those things in like a parallel line. Yeah, finding the common ground. Yeah, right. I, I don't know. There is definitely the teamwork vibe of, of playing music and being on a hockey team. I really appreciate hockey is a lot. Mm, I guess it's kind of like basketball in that it's a team sport. Maybe more about basketball than I do, but in hockey, one guy can't, can't save the whole team. It really is a team effort. And anything that makes one person look good is actually the result of six people all at the same time looking good right. and helping helping each other out. And the same thing, I think, goes with music, too. I've often described myself as the weakest link of every band I've ever been in. I'm probably the most okay drummer out there that has music out on Spotify and streaming services that sold records and stuff pretty basic level drummer at that level. I know, um, like you're but, being unnecessarily self-effacing. Well, I mean, I've also been lucky to have put myself into friendships with some super, super talented people. And it's, it's kind of like the poker adage of, if you look around the room and can't find the sucker, then that's you. <laughs> and at a band practice, they'll look around and say, all right, who's the worst guy? Oh, it's, it's me. And it's fine. I've certainly earned my spot there. But I don't know if I've earned my spot there by just being the best drummer. I, I think I'm a nice person who can also play the drums. And sometimes that's what people need. <laughs> that's what people are looking for. Again, I think you're being self-effacing. I mean, the drummer is the glue to any band. I will agree. And also maybe the most replaced person in the band. Like if when a band finally blows up. Time. It's like, well, all right, now that our band's got some heat, let's go get our real drummer. <laughs> that's never been my situation but you're right they're the backbone so if they're not rock solid then it can all fall apart and i've been just good enough to perform at the level that i've performed at i think if i had to do anything much bigger i'd probably need to go practice a little bit more <laughs> fair yes so we've talked about a lot 
and I want to be respectful of your time. But there is one other super important thing that I wanted to bring up that we have not talked about. Okay. Which is Crocs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm wearing them right now, Mike. Are I'm you really? My, 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 my gray Crocs, yeah. <laughs> We're not on the same page, Croc-wise. We're not. First time I met you, man, I look and again, you look like a guy from Georgia. You've got the beard, you've got the cap, you've got all that stuff, and my man was wearing Crocs. Yeah. I don't know. What is it that Crocs do for you, Sonny Harding? Mike, it's weird that you are so anti-Croc. I don't know. They look weird. They do look weird. You're right. I don't know if this is true. I read it on, I think, Instagram, so it's got to be right, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But when they were shooting the movie Idiocracy, they needed a stupid-looking shoe that no one would ever wear. And this was before Crocs blew up, and they they chose Crocs. And everybody's wearing Crocs in the future where everybody's an idiot, right? But, Mike, you're such a strong advocate for self-care. You're such a strong advocate of taking care of your own needs before you worry about what other people need from you or what they think about you. And that's a Croc lifestyle. Crocs are comfort before style they they tell the world that you don't care what the world thinks of you and the young people wear some crocs mike so you don't have to sign up for it but i mean five years from now you're going to be at the cool new york singles bar or whatever and you're going to see the crocs and you're gonna be like man sonny was right Man, between you and my brother and my friend Chris, I feel like I've got the Crocs Brigade coming at me. I I grant you permission to wear Crocs in New York City. Sonny, you're giving me inspiration. You deserve it. Now, granted, if somebody steps on my foot and breaks my toe or something, then I'm going to have to come down to Georgia and we're going to have to have words. Sure, sure. New York's like got that city grime and stuff that probably isn't. Well, there's be... that too. I mean, there's an open toe element to Crocs, and I, I have this issue with people who wear flip flops in New York City. There's glass and there's dog poop, and it's not necessarily even safe. No, you're right about that, and I think that's one thing I like about Crocs is that they're sort of like that comfy, airy vibe of a flip-flop without having everyone to look at your feet. (laughs) Like, I'll do everyone the favor of not having my hairy toes out there for the world, (laughs) but I I want that flip-flop comfort, and that's what a Croc does. I give you permission to to try them out. You need some indoor Crocs. Maybe I'll get some indoor Crocs. Get some indoor Crocs. Get home from your job, slip into those Crocs, walk around, you feel nice and comfy. I might follow your advice, Sonny. Come on to something. You're a good friend. (laughs) I'm right, you're wrong. (laughs) I really appreciate Sonny taking the time to do this podcast. I know that this was not an easy decision for him. Uh, He and I have had several back and forth conversations about the value of him being on the show. 
Um, and I really am glad that he ended up uh, going forward and doing it. So uh, I appreciate you, Sonny. Uh, if you want to know more about him, you can follow him on Instagram at Sonny Harding, S-O-N-N-Y-H-A-R-D-I-N-G. Uh, he also is in several bands, uh, one of which I found on Bandcamp uh, because it is in his IG bio, and they're called Radiant Radish. So uh, you can stream them, you can go to Bandcamp and listen to their music, but check them out. Thanks again, Sonny. I really, once again, appreciate you taking the time, being on the show, and breaking through that shyness to sit and talk with me in your car, actually, for uh, an hour. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to Detoxicity. I hope you found this particular episode interesting. And if you are new, I hope you go back and listen to all of the older episodes. Uh, once again, my name is Mike Joseph. I am the host and producer of this show. And uh, there are a lot of things that you can do to continue to support our mission, continue to support this podcast. Uh, follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, Twitter, and I'm on TikTok as Detox Pod Guy. Uh, you can also send me an email if you'd like. I'm at detoxpod at gmail.com. I am always on the hunt for people with interesting, inspirational, and powerful stories. So if you know somebody who fits that bill or if you yourself fit that bill, please don't hesitate to drop me a line via email or via social media. Uh, please make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform that you're listening to this on. Uh, rate, comment, help a brother out, uh, help us move up in the rankings, uh, follow me on social media, like I said, uh, follow our Patreon, or subscribe to my Patreon, actually, patreon.com slash detoxicitypod, you get access to exclusive episodes, you get episodes a little earlier than the general public, you get a cool-ass sticker, lots of stuff, once again, patreon.com slash detoxicitypod, quick shout out to Calvin Williams for providing the music, and, uh, doing his magic on the logo which was originally designed by jacob block i thank you all for listening i wish you all the best please take care of each other till next time peace